Okay, pasa mufasa, ni hao, konnichiwa, bonjia, bonjourno, shalom and salam aleikum. What's up, everybody? Happy Friday. Hello from San Diego, California, my hometown. I'm here for the Entheogen Expo, which is happening tomorrow, and it's a big deal. Let me tell you about it. We've got cultivators, advocates, educators from across the myco space coming together in community to share best practices, uplift and invest in each other, and no doubt sample some of the local product. Got a banger in store for you today. I'm thrilled to present to you the one and only Meddling Mushroom. This podcast is brought to you by Everyday Dose Mushroom Coffee. I'm sipping on some of that good good right now. I can't be drinking eight coffees a day like I used to. I stack the deck with Everyday Dose Mushroom Coffee. This podcast is also brought to you by Real Mushrooms, the gold standard in functional mushroom extracts in North America. Often imitated, never duplicated. Made with 100% fruiting bodies. Yes, the mushroom part of the mushroom. And as always, this podcast is brought to you by MicroBoost. M-Y-C-R-O-B-O-O-S-T. This trifecta of powerhouse functional mushroom companies are positioned at the vanguard of the soaring in popularity mushroom market, which is going up and up and up. So buckle in, tap in with the sponsors, let them know I sent you. Thank you very much for your support, everybody. Alrighty then, without further ado, let's get down to business. Okay, Pasa Mufasa, what's up, everybody? We've got John, the meddling mushroom in the house. Welcome to the Micropreneur Podcast, John. Nice to see you today. Thank you. Appreciate you having me. We tried to do this once before, and I was in South Korea, and it was 5 o'clock in the morning, and we had connection issues. So forgive me for that, and we're back live in action right now. And you've got an incredible space there, first of all. I imagine it didn't always look like that. You've got this streamlined lab set up. You're doing incredible work and uplifting the myco community. But let's go back to that first grow you did. Did you first kick off cultivating mushrooms in a still air box or with a turnkey kit? What did that first grow look like for you? Oh, gosh. So in, in college in like 2002, 2003, um, you know, I just I ran across this ad in uh, High Times magazine about spore syringes and these things called BRF cakes. And I was just like, what is this? You know, I've eaten mushrooms before, but I, you know, I wanted to give it a shot and, you know, bought some spore syringes and made the BRF cake and bought some Terrence McKenna books to really kind of guide me along the process and, um, made a glove box actually back in the day, you know, and, you know, still air box is just two holes and you stick your hand in, but, you know, really, uh, uh you know, put these little, PVC pipes and glued it on and then actually, you know, see clamps some actual gloves that go into it. And, you know, that's pretty much what I first started working on. And uh, it was little plastic containers shoved underneath my college dorm bed and, you know, growing in my closet, probably not the most uh, sterile manner, but, you know, it, it worked. And, you know, I was just infatuated with it and it was just my new passion. And, uh, you know, just kept going with it. It was great. And you've carried that passion over until today and are still going strong with it. And we had a chance to connect a few times in Los Angeles and here and there. And, you know, there's there's all kinds of micro events popping up. And now you've gone from being that cultivator with a few boxes under the bed to being someone who really helps to uplift and streamline a lot of cultivators operations. That's one of the things you pride yourself on is best practices. And one of those involves cleanliness. Now it's something you just mentioned when you first started off, you didn't have the most sterile conditions. And I think that's true for a lot of people who don't have a flow hood or a dedicated lab space. They're just growing where they can grow. And that's awesome. What are some of the things you've learned over the years about, about cleanliness and about dialing in the sterility around your mushroom cultivation operation? So it really began, as I was saying, like when I first started cultivating in college, I was getting my first degree in applied science of culinary arts and uh, nutritional health science. And, you know, with that studies, you know, in culinary arts, you're you're um, you're taught safety and sanitation. And a lot of those, you know, applications and those process uh, of being very clean kind of, you know, gravitated and applied to mycology as well. And I took those lessons and really uh, kept going with it and, you know, lab protocol and lab etiquette and, 
just really fine tune my process. You know, after graduating, um, I got my microbiology degree in horticultural science. And so learning about horticultural science, you're learning from step one to all the way to the ending uh, step of processing the product or your crop or whatever, whatever and storing it properly and serving it properly. So from there, I just really wanted to get to the fine details and study and research hard and um, learn about different points of contamination and how you can mitigate those chances of being uh, in a you know unsafe and st unsterile manner and really mitigating those chances of getting contaminated. So from there, just really got uh, even more fine detailed and I just became more OCD about everything. Yeah, so let's say that I want to I want to graduate from a still air box up to something that maybe has a little bit bigger yield potential. What are some of the sanitation protocols that I should be looking into? Do you think a flow hood is a non-negotiable? Is that something that's a game changer or are there other ways in between the still air box and the full lab setup? Well, there is that step up from using a still air box or a glove box, you know, um, to using a laminar flow hood or an FFU unit or a flow cabinet and um, utilizing your equipment is is important and everybody thinks that once they get a laminar flow hood or an FFU unit and they place it in front of them that they're they're free from all troubles and you know they're not going to have any contaminational risk which is incorrect you know you can miss certain steps by sanitizing your bags or your work surface areas improperly or having particles on your hand even though you have a clean curtain of fresh air being blown at you, you have to know exactly where your your dirty points are closest to you and where your sterile points are. And if you have a particle on your hand or some uh, other utensil that you're using and it blows towards your, your sterile medium or your sterile surface area, that can uh, pre present a, a risk and a problem itself. So there's certain ways of dialing in your process before you advance to uh you know more efficient and more advanced equipment um and just being able to you know cross check all your your points you know making sure you're you're taking the time to really wipe things down and making sure that you're still working uh you know in a sanitary manner uh, is, is always important and to apply that to an advanced piece of equipment is um is making more improvements. You know, you can't always just put a flow hood in front of you and think you're, that you're, you're golden. Yeah, I think it's the same with music production. There's this misguided belief oftentimes that the fancier the equipment, the better a music producer you'll be. And then you can just keep buying new tech and new equipment. And I think I've seen a little bit, a little bit of that with people trying to expand their labs is that you want more equipment and more tech, but in reality, just having best practices down and streamlined is probably a better approach. And uh, to round out that metaphor, Anthony Bourdain, one of my favorite writers and thinkers, talked about how in a kitchen, when you're starting, the first thing you do is just chop onions over and over and over and over. And you don't graduate from that station until you learn how to chop an onion perfectly and expediently. And I think the same could be said about learning lab conditions and sterile lab conditions is that over and over, you're just repeating the process until you have the fundamentals down correctly, which admittedly, I still really don't do. I'm amazed at how Contam finds its way into a grow, right? I'm not a commercial cultivator. I'm just doing occasionally a monotub or whatever. And I remember being so stoked. I had this nice flush going. It's pinning. Boom, this is going to be a nice yield. And then somehow it got cap rot. I'd never even heard of cap rot before. I was like, what? There's no contam? And now, you know, I had a bunch of little stems that I had to clip off. And just it's it's uh, demoralizing when you invest so much time and attention. You think you did everything right. And then you still get contam. But understandably, that could happen at a much higher level. Just because you invest in a big warehouse operation or, you know, something like that <laughs> doesn't mean that you're, you're going to not have to deal with that same basic protocol. So, uh, it's cool, though, that there are people like yourself and many other educators who know how to point these things out and can walk into a grow up and immediately say, uh, I think this could be streamlined or that could be done differently. 
So what got you into cultivating in the first place? Like what was the appeal? You kind of touched on it a little bit, but for a lot of people, it's generally, hey, I don't know where to get this stuff. I'm interested in it. I'm going to order a kit. So I have a supply, but then, you know, it grows on you and you have people all of a sudden becoming geneticists and breeders and doing, you know, work with mutants and so on and so forth. What got you interested in cultivating to become the meddling mushroom? You know, I was always encouraged uh, by my mother. She's uh, a scientist uh, herself and she really was uh, just encouraging anything that I found interest in, especially in the field of science. And as my dad being a self-trained botanist as well, he's just had always a green thumb. So it just, it always like, you know, made me fascinated into why, you know, plants do certain things. And then after going through culinary arts um, and learning horticultural science and nutritional health science, learning about the terroir and the nutrition of the soil and why it it enhances certain, you know, alkaloids and nutrients and vitamins in certain, um, you know, vegetables and fruit and, and fungi as well. And uh, just really made me interested into really wanting to dive deeper into the the whys and and figure out what was really going on in a micro, um, you know, micro level, micro uh, organisms, you know, whatever, if it's microbiology or, um, you know, uh, diagnostics into the uh, microbiology field. It's, it's always fascinated, fascinated me ever since as, uh, as a kid. And, you know, as, uh, starting at a very young age, uh, you know, like the age of 12 and 13, my mother was even showing me how to grow some entheogenic plants, you know, such as cannabis. And it, it was, you know, it was definitely frowned upon, you know, in the early nineties, you know, when I was, uh, early teens and, uh, but she always wanted to let me know that, you know, these, these plants and these medicinal herbs and fungi and so forth should never be, uh, abused, you know, not as a recreational source, but as a way of understanding, you know, subconscious or conscious level, or, you know, whether if the medicinal applications were there and this was all before, you know, microdosing was a big fad and everything. And. Uh, we definitely knew about functional and gourmet mushrooms back then. And my mom was always teaching me how to, um, go about creating my own process and procedures and, and just really messing around and seeing what works and what doesn't work. And, uh, just really took off from there at a very young age. And after starting college, it just really sparked my, uh, my passion to really go further with it. And that you have done very well, my friend. Now, you're interesting for a lot of reasons, but one of them is that you had this early education in the 90s where you're in your teens and you have a supportive family environment who are encouraging you to pursue interest in entheogens and cultivation of different medicinal plants and fungi. And then you went into the military. You're a U.S. Navy veteran. Well, now that's a huge area of focus and research, right? As psychedelics and entheogens specifically for veterans. What was the climate and the culture like when you were in the Navy? Did you ever hear people talking about mushrooms and in a medicinal sense? I would imagine it's quite different today in 2024, but what was it like when you were in the military? Yeah, it's, uh, the military was always a zero tolerance, you know, regardless if it was plant medicine, you know, or fungi medicine, there was just, there was no uh, wiggle room at all for them to even entertain it. You know, uh, the VA is, is starting to do testing and, you know, psilocybin uh, therapy and so forth, uh, even with ketamine, you know, things have become... Um, you know, more understanding and, you know, that, that big stamp of controlled substance has been removed. But back then it was just, it was never talked about. And, you know, on the sides, I was kind of growing here and there and just trying to figure out, uh, you know, how to really go about doing things on a smaller scale without drawing too much attention to myself. You know, I had barracks and then moved into military housing and so forth. And, really couldn't get all my 100% attention to it because, you know, I was being deployed. I was always gone. I was busy. But uh, after, you know, seeing three years in combat and sustaining some injuries, you know, mental and physical, and after being discharged uh, under medical conditions, honorably discharged, it uh, occurred to me that this was my chance to really see, you know, 
whether if this uh, these fungi that I was growing for, you know, more recreational use and, you know, just selling as well had more of a, a bigger purpose. And after I was discharged, um, they prescribed me 13 different pills and it was just for my own good. But, you know, really the pharmaceutical big pharma just doesn't want you to heal yourself. You know, if you do, then you're not going to keep coming back. And when I noticed my, my mental state and, you know, my physical state was rapidly declining after being discharged, I noticed that there was a choice and this was a big fork in the road and a big life changer that I could choose to, you know, disregard all these uh, suggestions or these prescriptions and go about healing myself uh, the right way. Uh, or just keep following their, their regimen and, you know, with physical therapy from all the pain and uh, mental therapy and then using this medicine for what it's supposed to be for really made me realize there was something more to this. And this is really what wanted me to just hit the ground running and really f dive deep into figuring out what's beneficial for me and what would be beneficial for other veterans or anybody suffering from trauma and uh, how I could go about, you know, administering this correctly. And it took a lot of trials and error. And I have to admit that there was a new phenotype or new strain that I would grow. I would eat it fresh and, you know, my wife would find me on the floor just rolling around or, you know, just trying to figure out things of my own. And the amount, uh, the dosage, and after really dialing it in, just it, it showed that there was proof. And, and it was not this magical pill that you won't have to ever have to do anything again, but it was really this, this, this fungi, this sacred fungi showing me that you have to do 95% of the work, but we're gonna show you how to get there and how to heal yourself. And I can't ever give someone mushrooms or, or uh, microdose capsules going, this is how it's going to make you feel. I tell them that you need to throw out all of your expectations and feed in your affirmations and your intentions and where you want to be at within five years from now. And it, it has really helped me personally, and it's helped thousands of other veterans. And it's good to see that there is this mind shift and, and not just with uh, society, but also military as well. Sure. Yeah. Powerful testimony there. Now, I'm always curious about this trial and error because certainly there's there's error involved with the trial. And I myself went through that similar process of trying to dial in the sweet spot and find what works the best. And one thing I've talked a lot about on the program is how in Western culture, in the United States specifically, we don't really have a rite of passage for most people. You know, a lot of traditional cultures who have used entheogenic fungi or other plants, it's usually contained within a community ritual, something that's understood with shared values. We do not have that, right? So inevitably what's happened right now is you have a huge demand, a huge interest in mushrooms and they're being rolled out in arguably a pretty unconscious way, I guess you could say, you know, where they're just all over the place and you have, you go to these parties and people are passing out mushroom chocolate. And I'm trying to figure out where I land on that because I believe in this sense of cognitive liberty of adults being able to do what they want with their consciousness. But there's also the risk of trivializing or cheapening or disrespecting fungi, as we've seen. It's, it's entirely possible. Uh, what was the sweet spot for you when you found it to really work for yourself and you found out that uh, this is the, the dose I need to take, this is the setting I need to be in, this is what works for me? That's, that's a great one, a great question. Yes, you know, time, place, and setting is, is really important, but what came to me, you know, like after many years of cultivating and doing some side-by-side -side experiments with, you know, other growers and, you know, other people providing, you know, in the community, like, uh, you know, just some small time growers and some large uh, growers. Um, I was comparing the results with some of my clients and customers that were, um, some of them were brand new customers of mine and some of them were long-term customers of mine. And they would try, 
the same amount inside of a capsule, very um, uh, strategically measured uh, at a micro level. And uh, I would take, you know, the same exact strain uh, of the other cultivator, put it in a capsule and then and take the same exact strain of mine and, and notice large differences in not only just bringing it to an outsourced lab and getting a COA, a certificate of analysis and really breaking down the compounds and the alkaloids and testing for metals and so forth. But I also felt that there was more to it than science could prove. And I found out that there's this passion, there's this love and that you put into your work. And this shows, you know, on the basic levels of science, you know, the emotion that you put into a simple water molecule shows differences, whether if you're putting positive reinforcement or negative uh, uh, energy into this, you're going to show that the ending result is going to be uh, much different. And I noticed that if people are just growing to just grow, um, unfortunately, that even if they're using, you know, the best, you know, agar mediums, you know, the best, best nutrition and the application and the great substrate, I've noticed a big difference in the, you know, the psyche or the experience that the consumer is having uh, compared to someone that is really growing for the medicine, for the purpose and putting their love and passion into it. And you see this uh, happen across the board throughout science, uh, whether if it's like you do a side by side comparison of a recipe, you give it to one person that is really into, you know, the culinary arts and putting their love and their their time and effort onto it. And you give the same recipe to another person and the plates may look similar and smell similar, but the taste and the feeling that you have after eating these plates is a world of a difference. And I believe that all your passion and love and your energy that you put into, whether if you're growing vegetables, fruit or fungi, uh, comes out at the end um, and it shows in the results. Yeah, I would transfer that same rationale onto micropreneurial ventures or mushroom companies and that there are a lot of people who can make a mushroom chocolate bar, but one company or one individual who prioritizes philanthropy, community service, passion, commitment, so on and so forth, I think that really shows in the brand or it shows in the person that passion comes through and transfers onto the experience or onto the company or whatever it is. I'm a pretty firm believer in that as well. I remember encountering a fellow at an event somewhere who had this large warehouse grow. And I remember just the way he talked about it and the way he communicated with the rest of the people. I got a really gnarly feeling from, from that individual. And I was like, I don't know if I want to, you know, uh, support this, you know, maybe it's good for someone else. But uh, I think that you can, you can really intuit and feel those things. And especially with mushrooms, it's this sort of paranormal realm in a lot of ways, this, you know, you can get into the woo woo and talk about the energy signature, the frequency, so on and so forth. And I've heard an interesting perspective recently from Travis Tyler Fluke, who is based in Denver and cultivates. And he mentioned, um, trying to pull the exact quote here. He was talking about fresh mushrooms versus dried mushrooms and other products. And that in a number of indigenous cultures who have used mushrooms, they only use the fresh mushroom. And I thought that was an interesting point. So not to say there's anything wrong with dried mushrooms, but that there is something going on, right? With the, you could call it on an analytical level, the compounds that are in there, which might be different in a fresh versus non-fresh mushrooms. But these little things can end up making big differences in the ex experience for somebody. So just an interesting take there. I had never heard that before about the importance of a fresh mushroom versus a dried mushroom. And uh, yeah, I think we'll see more research on that. Speaking of research, what's your take on the whole analytical testing atmosphere right now? Because it's starting to emerge this idea of like trying to test for potency and test for alkaloids. There's a handful of outfits doing it. And it seems like they're growing, you know. Of course, we had Reggie and Oakland High Face Cup, but now there's one in Colorado, and then there's the Cultivar Cup. What's your take on this whole emerging analytical testing of psilocybin mushrooms that we're seeing? Um, I think it's great. I think that if it's utilized correctly, and, and especially how, uh, how rapid and how fast this community and this industry is growing, uh, just with my personal experience in finding that, you know, these 
you know, there's a lot of companies with, you know, these massive warehouses and all this money. And it's, and it's a lot of cannabis uh, companies that have uh, gravitated from growing cannabis into gr growing uh, massive amounts of mushrooms. Um, I think it's, it's um, I think it should be necessary for someone to be held accountable that if they're trying to cut corners or if they're adding, you know, certain ingredients to the substrate or so forth, that is, uh, showing, you know, not at toxicity levels, but, you know, may, maybe metals or contaminants that are being, you know, missed, you know, that have been through many operations that, you know, they said that they were completely successful, but I was finding, you know, certain bacteria like Pseudomotus, you know, built into the chitin cells of the mushroom itself, which could be, you know, fairly dangerous, you know, and uh, even if it's after it's dried. And I think it's it's holding, you know, whether if it's the small cultivator or these large operations, it's holding them accountable and showing, you know, not just, you know, their potency results. But I think that, uh, you know, wide spectrum of testing should be uh, used on on finished product just to make sure that people aren't putting out, you know, product in, in a hurry. Like, you know, in the industrial age, you're just throwing out so much product, you you miss things here and there. Um, I, I just really want people to know exactly what is in their finished product and, you know, just not, you know, focusing on how potent it is, but also seeing that if there is some missed, uh, you know, components or if there's some, you know, toxicity or if there's other bacterias or other metals in their product that, you know, they should be aware of it. You know, there's a lot of companies that are cutting corners just to make, you know, more product and faster product and, uh, I think testing should be utilized at these these levels, uh, whether if someone is, you know, just curious about their product, seeing where they, they lie on the level of potency and seeing if there's contaminants. You know, you might not always see contamination in your finished product. And even after dehydrating it completely, it can still pose as a problem later on. But uh, yeah, I think if it's utilized correctly, um, it's being monitored and uh, being regulated by certain agencies or corporations that are running these tests. Uh, I think that someone should be held accountable if they're putting out bad product. Yeah, I was really impressed with the Triptomics recent report that they did. If you saw that and it was picked up by an account called Blacklist that does a lot of underground myco and cannabis media where they tested six different bars and I don't want to name drop the bars because I honestly don't remember which brands they were, but they were some of these large scale brands that you see the packaging of a lot of places and for sale at smoke shops and online and so forth. And the tests were not very impressive. And I believe they actually predominantly tested for four ACO or for various research chemicals as opposed to actual mushrooms. So this, and I've not seen anybody else do that and publicize the test results, which is amazing considering how many people are indiscriminately buying mushroom products now. And I think that this is where we need to see the education and the media space develop a lot because you have a lot of people who are interested in psilocybin mushrooms or in magic mushrooms without really having a nuanced understanding. And they're just kind of buying things to the point where they might not be buying mushrooms. They might be buying a trap chocolate that has research chemicals, which admittedly maybe is not dangerous, but is certainly not best practices. You know, you should not be labeling something as a mushroom when it's not. So that's one take. And then another one is the Amanita market is picking up now because the people are interested in mushrooms. They're legal. It's kind of a loophole. So you have all these companies pumping out Amanita gummies. You know, you have a lot of vendors online, obviously, but also running paid ads on Instagram for microdoses and this, that, and the other. And what it's really done is created this sort of convoluted industry in a lot of ways where uh, another example of this is a supplement maker friend mentioned that somebody had called them asking for some psilocybin for microdoses or whatever. And that person did not know that they were illegal and they're running their business. They're like, hey, all these people are asking me for them. Why are the prices so high? It's a federally illicit substance still. But like you see news media running articles like I've seen in Matador as one platform that did this saying that mushrooms have been legalized in Oakland or mushrooms have been legalized in San Francisco, which is not the same, right? If they're decriminalized or legal. So we've got this kind of discombobulated emerging industry right now. Um, 
and there's a lot that a lot of directions we could go here. But let's just hear about your overall feelings and impressions about this emerging mushroom industry in 2024. What are you concerned about? What are you really excited about? Um, yeah, you just touched base on it earlier. What I'm concerned about is that, um, you know, a lot of these large companies that have the funding, the backers, the investors and the space to uh, completely flood the market, which has already happened. Um, you know, they're looking into doing things faster, doing things cheaper, you know, synthesizing, making synthetic psilocin, you know. Um, unfortunately, this gives the real medicine a bad name, you know, and if someone, like you said, buys a chocolate expecting this, you know, you know, this wonderful experience and it, it wasn't done right or there was chemicals or, you know, lab grade synthesized, you know, compounds in there. It's giving that bad stigma. You know, there's uh, there's a couple times that I've uh, ran into people going, oh, you know, I won't ever try mushrooms, you know, and, uh, you know, I, I had a bad experience. You know, I, I always ask, you know you know, were you in the right place in time? You know, was your setting? Were you around people you were comfortable with, you know, sharing space? And, um, you know, a lot of the questions lead up to, you know, they didn't really make the right choices. And like you said, some of these chocolate bars, you know, some people don't have a good experience with them. You know, I don't believe in these mass marketing companies that will keep their label, but they'll outsource uh, different fruits from different cultivators without even testing it. And uh, it's giving the medicine a bad name. And uh, it's kind of confusing. I don't know why they would not test it and have their label on a chocolate bar and, and give themselves a bad name, but, and so forth. I'm just concerned that it's just going to be this industry and this community is going to start, you know, shifting and it already has more towards what happened to cannabis, you know, and it being, so widely used and unregulated that there's going to be, you know, a shift in the government understanding going, yeah, we can, you know, make this, you know, uh, recreational, but we're going to scrutinize and, and, and micromanage everything about your cultivation process. And um, so far, you know, gosh, when I first jumped on Instagram, there was like three of us, you know, really growing and to see that there's thousands and thousands of people growing, uh, that's great. And, and I encourage that, but if, you know, these companies are going to try to completely flood the market and give the medicine a bad name, it, uh, it makes me realize that I can't be angry about it and I can't fight against it. But what I can do is, build a strong community of all these trustworthy vendors, these cultivars and all these mycologists throughout the community and really group together and hold that passion and, and educate people uh, that this, this sacred medicine is to be used, um, you know, with the right intentions as a, a grower or a cultivator or, you know, anyone that is, is wanting to understand it is should be treating it as respect and not industrializing it and, and mass producing it. And what I'm excited for is for the shift in the government to really understand on the applications in which it is, you know, I've talked to several uh, research scientists and executive board members with uh, the John Hopkins research and development team. And as it's uh, progressing, uh, and, and moving towards, you know, uh, more of availability without it being just decriminalized. It's, um, it's being understood that it, it's going to need to be really managed correctly. So I'm making sure that things are, are done properly. And I, I totally agree with. I'm excited to see, you know, new cultivators, new people jumping on Instagram. I'm excited to see where this industry goes next, whether if it's new applications and developments and new findings. That's great. Uh, I'm a very organic person. I don't like distillates or concentrates or anything. And it's just like cannabis, you know, a lot of people have had a bad stigma about cannabis. They're like, oh man, it made me, you know, way too high or I wasn't able to do anything or I got anxiety or, and so forth, which I have felt myself, you know, buying cannabis at, you know, these weed shops and so forth. They're just packed full of synthetic nutrients and grown indoors and so forth. And I found out that growing my own cannabis outdoor in my own compost made from spent cakes and mushroom 
mycelial um, mycorrhizal. Uh, it had more of a, you know, more of a euphoric and happy feeling instead of just an uncontrollable high and anxiety. And I hope that this industry takes more of an approach, a more holistic approach uh, to it instead of trying to mass market it and mass produce it. So I'm excited about a lot of things and hoping that a lot of us take the right steps in the right direction into holding this sacred medicine for what it really is and what it should be used for. Yeah, it's a slippery slope for sure right now because we have a hyper-capitalist, bottom-line driven, sort of cutthroat world a lot of the times it feels like. And when people are entering into the space, maybe if you have a base of experience and you've had a breakthrough experience yourself, you might bring that into your operation. But there are definitely a lot of people who see this as a quick payday. They say, people want mushrooms. I can grow these things. Let's move packs. And I think that's, you know, unfortunately sending the wrong message a lot of the time personally. And uh, I, I see that at large with this emerging psychedelics industry, right? Beyond mushrooms, there's this idea of everybody can agree that these substances are potent and they're powerful, be it MDMA, mescaline, psilocybin, so on and so forth, that how do we actually integrate these into society in a way that's safe and meaningful for a lot of people? The jury's still out on that. You know, they haven't been regulated. A lot of these still are controlled substances, even if they've been moved down the schedule and they have research potential or whatever. Malachi but Dennis. Oh, are you are you here now? Can you hear me? You back? Yeah, there we go. Sorry, I lost you for a second. Okay. So there's a lot of very powerful substances that for the first time, arguably, a lot of people are really interested in and can have access to. Once upon a time in the 1960s, a lot of these burst onto the scene, but you didn't see mainstream USA trying to get their hands on these things, right? It was very much a subculture. It was the hippies. Now that narrative is flipped and you have a lot of mainstream, a lot of mainstream cultural interest in these compounds, but we also have a culture that doesn't really respect and value things like when you say the word sacred or you say the word you know sacred medicine that doesn't really translate to a lot of people in the current culture that we have they see uh units widgets you know what's the difference between psilocybin mushrooms and cannabis and apple juice cartons for our business we're trying to move units and you know so on so it, it presents this tricky landscape in a way because a lot of people who are doing very conscious ethical meaningful work oftentimes maybe outbid or outcompeted by people who are cutting these corners you described, you know, to try to scale up and sell more. And this directly ties into the price, I guess, is what I'm getting at, where once upon a time for a pound of mushrooms or even an ounce of mushrooms, like when I was growing up, I think it was 140 bucks an ounce, something like that, if I recall, right? And now you're, you're getting a pound for 200 bucks, right? And that's only within a decade or so. And the same is true for cordyceps and for other mushrooms. So what is your feeling? What are your feelings around the pricing of mushrooms right now? And you mentioned earlier, bigger players flooding the market. What is the long-term, what are the long-term ramifications of that? And is this a race to the bottom or is there a point when there's an industry standard price that's put into play? How do we deal with the fact that so many people are trying to build livelihoods around mushrooms and growing, but the prices are tanking and the market is flooded right now? Yeah, like I, you know, unfortunately, um, out of nine operations I've consulted for here in just the L.A. area, and I won't, you know, drop names or anything. Some of these places are very secretive and they're not online at all. Um, they're just mass producing, you know, I'm estimating some of these operations were putting out like 900 to a thousand units uh, a month, which is insane. You know, I've never come, uh, come across those numbers, you know, even growing in a 30,000 square foot area too, you know, we were, we were getting good numbers, but nothing like that. And it's just, uh, it is flooding the market to a point where, you know, the small, uh, operators uh, need to start shifting their focus on how they want to, you know, make a living. You know, unfortunately, that some people really focus on the ending product uh, on on making a, a living or a, or an income, and uh, and it's okay for someone that is actually a good mycologist or a cultivator to 
uh, shift to selling genetics or supplies or so forth. Um, with this flooded market, I'm seeing is just less attention to detail, uh, less passion, less love for the medicine, and just more for a gain on you know uh, just really just getting as much as you can out to the market and. It's really hurting, you know, certain parts of it. But uh, at a time, I was pretty scared for uh, myself because, you know, I was uh, I was selling product to just make a good income to advance on levels of buying, you know, new equipment and so forth and just paying the bills. But, you know, about three or four years ago, I noticed uh, a pretty good shift. And I know I know right at that time, um, I think units were going for about, you know, twelve hundred. And, you know, in three years, it dropped to $200. And um, I really started reverting my focus on education and, and really teaching and consulting and really just kind of stepping back. And also, I didn't really want a bunch of product on hand. It just kind of made me a little nervous. And, you know, I dwindled down to barely nothing on, on my finished product and really just focused on really fine tuning certain uh, approaches and, you know, lab procedures. And um, it's just sad to see that, you know, the market going to where it's at. And, and if it keeps going at this, this level, whether if it's going to crash or if this entire industry is going to plummet, there's always going to be someone coming out on top because they have the love and the right intentions behind them. And even with these, you know, mass producers selling units at 200, you know, it's just, it, it occurred to me that I still have these long-term clients that have been coming to me for eight or nine years that they prefer to come to me, even though my prices are a little bit higher because I've had some clients step away and buy those cheaper prices and said that they didn't feel the same way. And that was just a prime example of just, you know, of, things being mass produced and not done with love and, and the right intentions to someone just really taking the time to focus on product just geared directly just for that customer. And that's what I do. I find out someone's trauma, their lifestyle, what they want out of it, and really try to find that right uh, cultivation process and, and strain that would be you know suitable for them. Sometimes it takes a little trial and error, but most of the time I'm pretty spot on with uh, finding that right dosage or that right mushroom for that person. And I think that that approach needs to be applied to uh, worldwide. You know, if someone's going to be producing something that is going to be psychoactive and mind altering, I think that it should be, you know, not just regulated at a scientific level of testing and so forth, but also someone that would come in almost like a food inspector or Ecolab, seeing how their process is going. Are they following the right steps from A to Z? You know, I, I can see someone doing the cultivation process really well, but towards the end, the harvesting and drying could be just speed line and, and just, you know, missing some certain steps that could result in you know, loss of potency or their product not drying properly and so forth. Um, I feel that someone really needs to step in, whether if it's a government regulated agency or someone that is part of the community that would be appointed to really making sure that things are followed properly. You know, we have all these these regulations and these laws set into place for, for restaurants that are, are, uh, are feeding, you know, the customers and so forth. And, and I believe that if we're going to eat it, regardless if it is a psychoactive compound or just a nutrition or just basic food, I, I think that it should be applied across the board and really think that um, things need to be noticed on, uh, on certain levels before, you know, before it goes awry and before the government steps in and just starts really scrutinizing and micromanaging things. A hundred percent. Yeah, so I carved out my space in the mycomedia sphere pretty early on because I realized I'm not aspiring to be like the best cultivator or this or that, but like this is what my background is, this is what my passion is. So that's where I stacked my chips. And I've noticed even since I've been on Instagram and you know established mycopreneur at the end of 2020, 
it has 10x in terms of the amount of other mushroom media people and and essentially Instagram mycologists, right? I saw Michael Trofic talking about this the other day, who I'm a, a fan of his work, and he mentioned how there's just 10 times the amount of these cultivators popping up every day. That's great. But then it also, there's people stepping on each other's toes. There's people trying to jump to the top, catapult. You know, I, I just got into this this year, and now I'm going to establish myself. I'm going to leapfrog over everybody else and people who have been doing this for 10 years. So I think that's going to continue in the sense that it's a good thing that more people are growing mushrooms, I'd argue. But then there's this other side of that where that means there's going to be more people trying to make a name for themselves, which is great. You should, but you should pay your dues, right? Do your due diligence, uh, show respect and be a contributing member of a community as opposed to I'm going to outcompete you. I'm going to cut this corner. I'm going to do this. Well, what are some of the things that you've noticed with the Instagram or the online myco community that you'd like to air out and see resolved and, you know, hopefully that people who are coming to the community over the next year can know that there's essentially, hopefully, a code of conduct that should be abided by. Yeah, you know, I see that every day. And unfortunately, social media has given a doorway or a gateway, if you will, to of those that are, you know, toxic to the environment or toxic to the community. And yeah, if they want to grow, that's that's great and all. And, you know, I, I think slander and you know you know bad talking or bad mouthing someone online it's just you know i've mentioned it to a couple people you know and then i unfollowed them which is sounds silly but i i mentioned to it they were at a you know a complete battle an instagram keyboard warrior battle back and forth and you know i mentioned to both of them i was like you know don't you guys think that this is a little bit of waste of time and energy don't you think you should be focusing on you know more beneficial things for yourself and for the community and for your product. And, you know, both of them are like, no, you know, screw that guy. Da, 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 da. It's just, it, it's sad, you know, um, you know, I'm in my forties and, you know, it's, there's a lot of young, uh, younger generation jumping on, on board with this, you know, which is, is great. Whether if their intentions are good to, you know, create a good medicine or a good product, or if they just want to sling and get money or gain fame, you know, there's always these, you know, Instagram influencers and stuff, you know, unfortunately that there is a lot of um, infiltration by uh, some people that don't mean well for the community. You know, their, their toxicity, you know, resonates and, and goes throughout. And, you know, I'm a uh, prime example. I got really upset with, you know, like three people that came at me wrong and, you know, I, it was my fault for letting them get to me, but it was just, it was just frustrating because, you know, when i you know, have really good intentions and I, and my heart's in the right place to really help provide people with, you know, you know, great product information, whether if, uh, you know, they need, you know, quick questions answered and so forth. It's just sad to see someone just, you know, be negative about the experience or just be, you know, you know, slandering, you know, like on, on, on silly things, you know, some, respectful people that I, I really admire and I adore and I've met in person and known for years and years on Instagram are just great people, a great cultivator, excellent mycologist. I see people bad talking them and it's just like, yeah, I could take that five seconds to be like, no, dude, you know, you're a jerk or you're an asshole or whatever, you know, so forth. But it's just, it's not worth my time. And instead I've reached out to, you know, the person that I, I respect and be like, Hey buddy, just a heads notice, you know, this person is just not being very kind and, and saying these things about you. And, and sometimes I don't, you know, I don't like to get in between or get into somebody else's business. But, um, I, I really think that people need to focus on why they're there in the first place. And if, you know, they really want to make a positive influence on someone's life or their own and really kind of just analyze um, what they want to be remembered as. You know, everybody wants this fame or to be on top, you know, and there's and being in a competitive environment or an industry is good. And sometimes that friction is needed to kind of like boost somebody to excel, which is is great. But I think we should all be there for each other. We're all here in 
you know, the same community, same industry, uh, regardless of what your, your, um, your intentions are, I think we should always be supportive. And, you know, with these new people coming in and they'll ask these novice questions on the comment thread and I see people just blasting them. That, that's not a good way to welcome new people or new beginners into this, you know, this wonderful journey of growing fungi. And instead of, you know, you know, just making fun of them for their, you know, novice questions, really just kind of uh, helping them out one on one should really give someone uh, a better perspective on what this community is really about. And, you know, I've just seen these you know, time and time again, just people just not really, you know, not being kind and not being supportive. And when I have a brand new cultivator, someone brand new on Instagram going, Hey, what do you think about doing it this way or that way? And, you know, I've learned in my professional career in the past, instead of just shutting it down, because, you know, I know, I know what I, I know what's best and it's my way or the highway or, or whatever, just Instead of not entertaining this new idea, um, it, it's best to really stop and think about someone's different perspective and new ideas and new fresh eyes into an industry might really advance yourself and actually get you to think, you know, there's a different way of doing things. And it's really humbled me. In the past, I wasn't. And I've really in a sense, screwed the pooch or really screwed myself and to not entertaining these new ideas. And I've learned in this community, in the fungi community to really, you know, give it some thought, give it a try, see if it works. You know, I love Re Reggie's saying, fuck around and find out. It's just the way to do things and to really be supportive of anybody, you know, black, yellow, green, blue, whatever this person is, it doesn't matter. They're growing just like you, it doesn't matter who they are or how young they are in this industry. They're doing what you set out to do at your beginning times. And there wasn't really a big community when I first started growing there, you know, internet was, was up and running and, uh, you know, shroomery was just opening. There was these amazing things I call books that I read that really got me to be where I'm at today. And it was a beautiful time because I didn't really have all these outside influences or these negative remarks like, oh, man, you don't know what you're doing. Da, da, da. And it allowed me to just really feed in to my own energy and passion and just really research and find out and and do the proper steps without having all this distraction. Uh, unfortunately, that in this social media day and, you know, this era and this this new generation, which I'm very confused about, there's so many different emotions and ups and downs and, and different, you know, um, negative remarks. And, and it's, it's hard for someone to really sift through the, the vast amount of people that are online to find those really good apples in the bunch. And unfortunately, there's a lot of bad apples. And I have people come out you know, message me on my DMs going, Hey, do you know this person? You know, this guy, like I bought genetics from, or this and that from, and he never sent the order. Do you know him? And I'm like, you know, I'm sorry. I can't vouch for this person. And it, and it's really hard. It's hard to, you know, distinguish on who's a reliable source or, you know, who is, you know, trustworthy, but there's a, there's a vast amount of, uh, you know, like, big leagues that people are, you know, that know of. And it, it's, it's nice to have, you know, the trustworthy people uh, within this community to, you know, bounce off ideas or verify if someone's a trusted source. And I think, you know, regardless of where this industry is going or how many people are going to start growing, we just need to be a community, regardless of your, your level of expertise, how many years you've been growing, uh, we just all need to support each other. You know, some of the most advanced people are the most humble and calm and nicest people. You know, William Padilla Brown, he was amazing, you know, like super knowledgeable young gentleman. And he was just super humble, so approachable. You know, Alan Rockefeller is just one of the nicest guys and just brilliant, man. He's just so amazing. And 
just so humble. And it just, that's a prime example of how we should all be acting. Totally. And I'm fortunate to have hosted both of them on the podcast before. And both of those guys were early guests on the podcast, even though they had established followings at that point. Both of them were, oh, yeah, let's do that. Great. Awesome. And they deserve all the, the success that they have and more. And I, I agree. They are people to aspire to, not just in the work they're doing in their bodies of work, but in the way they do it is so important. I've got a whole bunch of thoughts on all this, which is why I started the podcast in the first place. But it is difficult with an underground space to know who to vouch for and who someone is. And I've encountered that. And I think almost anybody's encountered that where you end up building a connection. Maybe you meet someone in person one time. And then months later, you'll get a message from someone else you know about this person did this, that, and the other. And I almost have to extricate myself from a, some of those situations. I'm not a big bandwagoner. I like to try to support as many people as possible. But I see a lot of bandwagoning and tribalism that happens where it's like us versus them, like our team versus that team. And a lot of my mushroom experiences have led me to understand that we don't need to always be making a us versus them. It's it's just us, right? There's always going to be some outliers, but I think that, that that's one angle. And then also in terms of I'm very fortunate that I got to establish a relationship with mushrooms before social media as well. And I often share that point. And I was going to the library 2004, 2005, going to the library and checking out books about ethnobotany and reading Arrowhead forums and talking to friends, right? It was a totally different environment. And then I was on that front wave of social media. I entered college in 2007 and enrolled in a media studies program at University of San Francisco. Twitter was launched in 2006. Facebook was launched in 2006. So this is right at the vanguard. You know, before that, there was MySpace and Zanga, and there wasn't anybody talking about cultivation or trapping on either of those sites, to my knowledge, and I probably would have known. But then all of a sudden, boom, well, you got to have a Facebook. Well, now Snapchat is out. Oh, boom, now Twitter is out. And it totally changed the landscape about the way we communicate with each other, which ended up eventually getting us to where we are now, where there's a sea of information. And it's very difficult for someone, especially if you're new to mushrooms or psychedelics, to be able to distinguish between a legitimate source and a, a non-legitimate source. And we, I'm sure this has happened to you. You get copycat profiles. You get you know people using your name, your picture, messaging people. And it's it's amazing, you know, quite frankly, where does it go from here? We can only guess, but it also reinforces the importance of having an in-person community, having connections to people that have hopefully been built over years. Because also you tend to hear about something. If somebody's cutting corners or somebody does someone dirty, that tends to surface even in an underground community. So uh, it's it's uh, really important, I think, that people can learn how to distinguish between someone who's there to help, to uplift, to educate, and someone who's just there to turn a you know turn a buck and to uh, become the most famous, so on and so forth. So I don't know, just a couple off the cuff thoughts I had there. Well, let's round this out by saying. What are you really looking forward to in 2024? What are you working on right now? What are you pumped about for the next year? Because there's a lot of people right now who are you know, pretty burned out. I think we can all say that. A lot of people are pretty burned out for a lot of reasons. There's got to be something that keeps you pumping, keeps you inspired, keeps you grinding. What, what are those things? Um, I'm looking forward to a lot of events. I've been asked to teach some classes and you know, do some some talks at uh, some events, but, um, you know, I had my sights set on, you know, this, this music festival I've been going to for quite some time and it's called lightning in a bottle. And I talked to someone, uh, last year and the year before I even met Jasper. Um, I met a lot of influential people in this community and I applied myself to be a workshop teacher, at the learning kitchen at lightning in a bottle. So I'm really hoping that they reach out soon. Um, looking forward uh, forward to the expo this year, and uh, also hopefully uh, I've been talking to some executives for uh, the psychedelic conference in Denver. Um, they're looking at uh, my story, and hopefully I get to do a TED talk there. That'd be amazing. Um, I'm just looking for these these brilliant ideas that always come out. You know, 
sometimes it's just out of the woodwork. It's people that you're not even expecting with these these amazing findings or these awesome discoveries. Um, there's a couple of clients that are in different countries that have uh, asked to fly me out to look at their operation, to fine tune some things. So I'm really looking forward to that. I've been to, I've flown to three different countries that these companies have asked me to consult for them um, nationwide as well. Um, just looking forward to really spreading the knowledge. I'm looking forward to this year of, of new beginners and uh, new advancements and just, you know, in our society and also where the government's going to take this, you know, uh, unfortunately, our governor here in California sucks, but he's taking strategic steps, which I uh, disagree and agree with that, you know, it needs to be regulated a little bit before, it, you know, we just let people loose on, on this uh, psychoactive fungi. Um, and I'm, I'm looking forward to actually having some some time to really narrow down my focus on the functional and gourmet uh, approach to it, which uh, my my focus and my business has really uh, been reverted to instead of really just concentrating on the psychoactive uh, fungi, but also the medicinal applications to these functional mushrooms. And so far, the results in the last nine months of my product showing not just with my parents and relatives and friends, but with clients that are suffering with dementia, Alzheimer's, chronic pain, and cancer, to see these results and these scientific uh, proven results from their primary care doctors showing that cancer has been subsided, some, some of it been completely removed. <clears throat> some of my patients that had uh, Alzheimer's or dementia is actually showing some remarkable improvements. So, I'm excited to see exactly where my friends, family, and customers are going to be this year after being on a strict regimen of my medicine. And I'm excited to see where you take things this year. I'm excited to see where all my friends uh, advance in their levels and uh, just to see where people uh, are willing to open their minds and their hearts to this medicine. It's been nice to uh, break that stigma, all these baby boomers going, you know, just stamped with that controlled substance, you know, Nixon and so forth really made this uh, a fear tactic. And for to see where the government is, is going now is exciting. And I really hope that that there is some influential people that are going to step in and, and really uh, allow that this to be treated as a sacred medicine and not just patented and sold, you know, as, as their product, you know, no one ever owns a strain. No one can ever name this mushroom. Yeah. They can make up their own name to this isolation, but no one owns these mushrooms. You know, it's prana, it's energy. And these mushrooms have existed on this planet before humans. So I really think that we should treat it as respect. And it, it's nice to see these enlightened individuals really stepping in to make a change in the mass production and where the government is going to stand. Yeah, that's huge. And you just touched on so many interesting angles. I think that psilocybin mushrooms, entheogenic fungi are really the tip of the spear. They're getting a lot of people interested in mushrooms, right? Like myself growing up, I didn't really care at all about salad bar mushrooms. That's where I saw them. You know, you go to the salad bar and you see these fresh sliced up button mushrooms and, you know, or on a pizza, I'd pick them off. I had no idea about this massive untapped kingdom, essentially, that's been marginalized and subjugated. I, didn't, I wasn't taught about mushrooms in school in any meaningful way. We might have had one paragraph in a biology textbook or an elective course talking about them. But now you have fungi-centric curriculum, and like, uh, like Juliana Furci and Fungi Foundation is doing. And then you have all these other incredible applications that we're just scratching the surface on, talking about mycomaterials, mycoremediation, talking about uh, mycotexture. You know, there's a 300-unit apartment building in Oakland that's going to be using mycelium composite as their primary building material. We're early in this, quote, deep fungal tech wave. You know, there's NASA investing in potential moon bases built out of mushrooms or out of mycelium. There is a million different use cases. And what gets me really excited is when people all over the world start to tap into this 
and start to reconnect with it. That it's, you know, a lot of this mushroom knowledge and fungi knowledge, this is not new. This is old knowledge that's been lost, that's been driven underground, be it talking about active mushrooms, psychedelic mushrooms, or mushrooms as medicine or food or all these other broader applications. You have all kinds of tribes all over the planet that have a lineage of use of some very interesting types of mushrooms, like Otzi the Iceman, who was found frozen in the Alps, had two different mushrooms on him. He was carrying almost nothing, and he had two different strains of mushrooms, a polypore and some or another. And one of them is for carrying embers, right, if you want to build fires. So all these things get me really excited. And then you start to see these organizations like the U.S. Department of Defense or NASA or Adidas or whatever pumping money into research and development. There's something serious there, right? There's something there. And it's people like yourself and the many wonderful micropreneurs I get to host on this program who are the ones on the ground level experimenting with this, saying, I'm going to create a useful product for my customers, for my community, for my family, and for myself as well. You know, I think me doing this podcast is as much for me as it is for the whole community. Like, I, I want to learn. I want to have these conversations. And that's how we, we grow. We share knowledge. We build together. So thank you very much for joining me today on the Mycopreneur Podcast. And, and I really appreciate your time, your energy, your dedication to the Myco community. And big fan of the meddling mushroom. So everybody make sure tap in, check out the meddling mushroom if you haven't already and hit us back with some feedback. So thanks again, John. Appreciate you coming on the podcast today. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Dennis. It was great. And that is a wrap. Thank you for sticking around to the bitter end. It's very sweet of you to commit so thoroughly. Don't be a stranger. Let me know what you thought of this episode and please consider checking out the substantial backlog while you're at it. You can reach out to me via email, mycopreneur at gmail.com or hit me on any of the numerous social platforms that I'm currently active on at mycopreneur podcast is the handle on Instagram and Twitter. Thank you all very much for sticking around. Have a wonderful day. I'll see you back here next week on the mycopreneur podcast.